You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Almost an emergency podcast. Uh, already scheduled Friday show that just kind of threw everything out the window of what we were going to talk about on the show because we do have breaking news um, on this one. Travis Dye, Oregon's best player, most important player uh, from the 2021, both arguments that you could make. Uh, the Pac-12's leading leader in yards from scrimmage has entered the transfer portal. Uh, shocking news. I think all three of us said some holy shit moments uh, when when that came across the wire. Yeah, it, you know, it, so it's funny because we talked about Diary on the show just like this week, and it felt like he had two choices, and it was enter the NFL or return to Oregon, and it turns out we ignored the third one, which is a mistake because, as everybody knows, everyone enters the portal now. And I know yeah. that's hyperbolic, but, like, it, it, this is not unusual at all for a high-end player to enter the portal. It, of course, is confusing a little bit, a little confounding, I think, um, for Die considering his history here. Um, at the same time, you kind of wonder how this is going to play out. And I want to give this a little time to breathe as well, because I don't want to be too knee jerk because I think it's possible he rejoins the team, um, not reporting anything, but you just think about the way this it's happened twice up. already for I was gonna say this has happened twice right. with other backs in the last three weeks, you know, with seven McGee first, um, right after landing was hired. And then Sean dollars just a couple of days ago, maybe yesterday, I'm trying to think of the days have all run together, but. It, it, it's it's interesting. It, it's not exactly how I expected this to go. And, and I will say, if if this is how it plays out, and Travis die, and his career ends at Oregon after the twenty one season, he still had a hell of a career. Yeah, he, he still made major mm-hmm. contributions to Oregon's program, and was was really integral. Off, you know, you, Matt, I don't know if I would say he's the most valuable player on the team offensively. I would say there's hard to argue with that though. I, I think there might have been more valuable defensive players, but offensively, like Travis Dye was the engine that could for Oregon in 21 and was, you know, it, it, there wasn't a game that was played really and certainly wasn't a game Oregon won where Travis Dye's fingerprints weren't all over that victory and wasn't, you know, in, integral to the fact that they won. So this is this is a big one. This is a really interesting one. I agree, Matt. I, I definitely wasn't expecting this. When we woke up this morning, we had some preliminary show notes uh, written down. This was not a topic we thought we would have to breach, um, but but it's going to lead the show, and I think we're going to spend a pretty good amount of time on it because, yeah. again, this is this is Oregon's most valuable offensive player in 21. I would imagine he would be the same in 22. And this is a player who historically is fifth all time on Oregon's rushing list, and had he chosen to come back, and again, it's not the door's not shut because you enter the portal doesn't mean you're going to stay in the portal. We have plenty of examples like yes, going to go. But if he had returned, he would have pretty easily, barring injury or some unforeseen circumstance, been third all-time behind Royce Freeman and LaMichael James on Oregon's all-time rushing list. And that placement would have solidified him as, in the discussion, amongst the best running backs in program history. I would never put him above the players I just mentioned because of on-field awards and on-field success, unless Dye comes back and Oregon contends for a championship. But his place would have been secured a little bit higher on the list as it stands again, though, 
even if this if his last downs were played in the Alamo Bowl earlier this or last month, uh, last year or two, his career is still something special. Yeah, this um, I think to all of us, this was extremely surprising news to say the least. Um, I'm still just I'm still just in a little bit of like a, a shock mode just because I, I don't. I don't really understand the move. So he's entering the portal as a, as a graduate transfer, um, transfer portal or Tinder portal, as Bill Walton called it last night. So <laughs> eloquently. And shout out to the Oregon men's basketball program. Yeah. Quick, quick shout out. Um, <laughs> and then back to football. So he's entering the, as a grad transfer, which makes sense because this is his last year of eligibility. Um, I just, I just always anticipated he would go to the NFL. I don't know what else he has to prove at the collegiate level. And I, I think Travis Dye is a, is a remarkable player, a wonderful player, one of the best in Oregon's history at running back specifically. But there's a part of me that is not so sure he can have the same type of career, the same type of impact on an offense in a different conference. And I wonder if this move will be lateral, if he'll move somewhere within the Pac-12, because um, I think that would be best for him if he's trying to really showcase his true talents as the number one running back, because that's the only reason I could think that he would want to leave. And there's a chance that C.J. Verdell comes back. Um, Oregon is already bringing back Byron Cardwell, Seven McGee, and Sean Dollars. Trey Benson is in the transfer portal, another running back. So they've had uh, four running backs in the transfer portal this offseason, which is kind of nuts. Basically, everybody except for Byron Cardwell. Um, don't, uh, Jared, don't forget Cross Patton. He's down at Nevada. Did he Did he enter the transfer portal? or did Because that just he felt just, like he he'd left because he well, has a preferred walk-on. <laughs> It, it, I don't know if it technically constitutes his portal, but walk on to, I think, some sort of a I'll, I'll add them. Let's add Cross. Cross, welcome to the group. It's now at five. So, and I, you know, I kind of wonder if this is riding on the wall for a Verdell return, because maybe Travis Dye is just sick of not being as good as CJ Verdell when fully healthy and being number two running back, because that's what his career has been until this past season. And whether or not you like Verdell more than you like Die or the other way around, um, that's just how the coaching staff has played these guys the last couple of years. And I think last year against Stanford when Verdell got hurt, everybody kind of questioned if Travis Die could – maybe not everybody, but I, I certainly did – questioned if he could maintain a, a number one running back load throughout the course of the season. And he showed he could. He showed he could very well. Um, he had – remarkable performances. I still remember the game against Washington, which was just unbelievable. Um, we were all there for that one. And so that's, you know, that solidifies his case as one of the best players in the transfer portal. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't understand it. Like it just felt like Oregon was the safest spot. The one where he would get the most reps, the one where he would come back. If he decided to come back, he would be running back. Number one, it would be his offense on the rushing perspective. He wouldn't have to compete with anybody else. Byron Cardwell is, is, a, is a fine player. I think he's going to be very good, but he's not as good as Travis Dime. It happened multiple times last year. But if he enters the portal and decides to go to another school, unless the running back room is like extremely depleted, it'll be another competition for him. And so I wonder if the I, – I just feel like this is either – 
um, they, uh, just uh, kind of how Sean Dollars and, and Seven McGee were, where they they end up ultimately coming back. But for now, I'm my gut. My gut feel is just like, why? What, what are we doing? Eliminate. But for a second here, let's eliminate the fact that this is an organ centric podcast and that a lot of the people that are listening to this show are duck fans. Let's eliminate the bias towards Oregon here for a second. Um, and just look at it through the lens of Travis Dye. I think this makes 100% sense for him to make this decision because you came to Oregon in 2018. You were the first verbal commitment for that class to Mario Cristobal and Jim Mastro and the offense that Cristobal envisioned and the system and the style that he wanted to play. Those guys are now gone. You're in your fifth year of college football. And it's one in which you have to, you just came off your best season ever and became one of college football's best running backs uh, in 2021. And your NFL draft stock is probably as high as it's ever been. And you have the opportunity now to come back to Oregon, but you're going to play for a running backs coach that you didn't commit to. You have no his, prior history to working with. You're playing in an offensive system in Kenny Dillingham that you did not commit to originally out of high school, or you did not play for in your first four years at Oregon. Uh, and you're playing for a head coach that you did not commit to and – you know, they, there was no coaching change prior to your last Matt, year. He's, he's done that. He's done that like almost every year in his college career. He's already gone through head coaching changes and offensive coordinator changes and running back coach changes. And he can't just go and, and follow Jim Mastro wherever he's going because Mastro doesn't have an on-field role. I no, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying I, he has to follow Mastro, but my, my whole point is, is there's no tie to this current staff. You don't owe this, sure. this current staff anything. And so for Travis Dye, it makes sense to go into the portal and just say, hey, what's out there? If I'm going to be do, I have to do something new at Oregon. So if I'm going to have to do something new, why not look out and see what, what's out there anywhere? Maybe Alabama calls me. Maybe maybe Georgia calls me. Uh, Ohio State calls me. And it's it's not that he's necessarily quitting on Oregon, but it's just – seeing what your options are because you've never been as in demand from an NFL perspective and from a college perspective as you've been right now. So for me, like it sucks for Oregon, but for Travis Dye, the person, and like he could come back to Oregon, it makes perfect sense for him to at least go and look to see what are his options at, at this point. You know what it reminds me of that's kind of been phased out a little bit is the NBA off season where you're like a, a sophomore with draft eligibility yeah and you can enter the draft to get a feel for where your status is at and and then determine what you want to go from there this could very well just be due diligence on travis's part he could be trying to determine hey and, and, and maybe hypothetically maybe he's kind of already leaning about yeah i don't know if i want to play at oregon next year in 2022 for whatever reason and so i'm going to look at the portal and if i don't get any bites that are of interest i'm going to you know going to enter the draft and maybe this is that kind of final step in terms of solidifying a decision for that but it does strike me as sort of um it resembles a little bit of that where 
because of the portal and because again you can enter and you can exit and we saw sean dollars do it three times in like 48 hours i know matt has clarified that, that one of the times was a compliance issue on oregon's part they like checked the box wrong or something so they wanted to solidify that was not a second dollar didn't change his mind over and over again but there was a mistake in compliance but 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 i digress you have the opportunity now to if you want go peek around the portal see what people say you open yourself up to be in contact it's no longer tampering now to talk to other schools or have other schools reach out and communicate interest and that's a thing that's that's kind of new so part of me that's an interesting point matt i hadn't thought about it through that lens i will say like Maybe that's just going to be a new part of the college football landscape is each year, if you're a high-end player with like one year of eligibility left, just you know, poke your nose around, see what's out there. And you don't know. And, and or, or he could have a very clear idea of where he's going already. And, right. he's just, and, and this is the final step of accomplishing that. Could he go to Miami? We talked about staff continuity. I mean, that would, I would be a little surprised by some of that, but. There are, as you said, Matt, there is staff continuity that he has at Miami that he would lack at Oregon. Um, ultimately, I, I'm, I'm probably like kind of expecting he pulls his name out, but that might just be me because of what we've seen with Lanning already this week. And um, I think we can, unless we want to continue talking on this, maybe this is a good transition point to some of what Lanning said. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think one of the things that stood out, that well, one of the pillars for what this podcast was going to be before Travis Dye's name was entered in the portal was one of the things I thought was really stood out from landing yesterday on Thursday afternoon was that recruiting of players in the portal and recruiting of prep players is important, but that the most important recruiting for Dan Lanning and company right now is those in Eugene. He still has to build those relationships. Remember he might be, it might've been named Oregon's coach about a month ago. He's been in Eugene four days. You know, I mean, this is he's still relatively new in developing these relationships. So this is right now. And we should also note that it's Friday. He just took off the recruiting trail, his first time being able to recruit as an Oregon coach uh, on the trail, as opposed to just making phone calls and texts and whatnot. Um, things are picking up for Oregon. And it's, I think, kind of notable and telling. And by the way, for like if you're Dan Lanning and this is your fourth day on the job officially in Eugene, and you're about to head out recruiting, probably already on the road recruiting. What another little obstacle for you to kind of try to maneuver and that, that is now becoming a focal point here because you probably maybe hopped on that plane this morning without knowing that Travis's name. Maybe you did. Maybe you knew Travis was going to enter the portal. Maybe you didn't. And now you're kind of going, okay, well, I'm going to make all these stops, which obviously he's going to make numerous stops. We'll have we'll track some of that productterritory.com over the next you know couple of days and weeks just of where he's going, where the staff is at. But he now has a really big recruiting effort to make, and it's not a new player. It's a current player, and that is what is in play right now. And so far, we've seen some success in keeping players from going into the draft and keeping players from entering the portal. Um, but this die thing, again, I don't think we should weigh planning's recruiting pitches based solely on what happens with Travis Dye because there could be a lot of factors at play. But this is ultimately a really big moment for Lanning to kind of keep that momentum going because I do think – and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the staff has decided we prefer not to have Travis die. But I do think this is a, a player that the Ducks would badly like to have in 22, and now it's landing in the staff's job to, to kind of reverse course with Travis if they can. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, Lanning in his press conference um, yesterday or on Thursday mentioned that um, you know, he likes to have these types of conversations person to person and not really over you know, thousands of miles and over the phone or over Zoom. Um, 
which kind of makes me feel like this decision from Dai was made yesterday or something like in the last couple of days when Lanning was finally in Eugene. Um, and that's just purely speculation. We have no actual idea if that's the case. Um, but yeah, this is priority number one as of today, as of right now, is to keep Travis Dye on, on, on the Oregon Ducks. Um, in terms of recruiting, though, um, you know, his message that he's given to other players who have uh, hit the transfer portal has all been different. Uh, he mentioned uh, in, a, in an answer where um, everybody kind of has different, you know, priorities and, and, and roles as to why they enter the transfer portal. And no one really has the same same issues. So each message is different. And, and Lanning has been able to, you know, give a couple people different messages to keep them sticking around at Oregon, whether it be, you know, Sean Dollars or Seth McGee or, or Big Sala who entered the draft and then pulled out to come for his um, – his senior year at Oregon or his last year of eligibility. Um, it's it's going to be fun to see. Um, and I, I, we could probably pivot into recruiting, recruiting with Christian Miller on campus, a, a four-star defensive lineman out of Georgia, um, top 150 player in the country. Um, there's another four-star running back from state of Georgia, or not from Georgia. He's from Tennessee, I think he is. Um, and uh, yesterday in his press conference, um, Lanning talked about how he was on the phone with, with somebody who could help the program pretty soon, just the way he put it, um, in the tunnel after winning the national championship game. And uh, 24-7 Sports' Greg Biggins came on to DuckTerritory.com to mention that, that he was talking to Julio Florence, uh, quarterback prospect out of California, uh, teammates with Julio Tucker, the two Jaleels, um, former Oregon commit Julio Florence. Um, so Lanning is already, he's already doing his thing. He's already on the phone. He's um, really serving his whole purposes as, as coaching the Ducks now and, you know, from coaching the Bulldogs just a couple of days ago. Um, it's been a very interesting transition, but it's been one that he's kept, kept afloat really well and kept determined. And um, he's done a great job so far of, of balancing the two. Oregon has offered um, a couple of running backs in the 2022 class. Um, and as Jared said, um, they are also hoard, hosting Jordan James, uh, top 247 running back out of Tennessee for an official visit this weekend. So Oregon is being proactive. They've been proactive prior to this news going public. Um, the NCAA portal, I think a player has to notify the school and then the school has to put their name in within 48 hours of being notified. So I would imagine that Oregon staff knew this was coming. Um, it wasn't just a Friday morning decision. Um, they probably had some inkling and they've maybe been a little proactive um, in trying to find other running backs. And I think it, it, even if Dai, uh, even if Verdell comes back uh, to Oregon in 2022, and we don't, we don't know the status of that either. That changes things too. Um, I think it's now imperative that you go out and you try and find a running back in the for this recruiting class, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a high school player. Um, if Verdi, if Verdi, I'm combining two people into one person. <laughs> I love that. It seems like it is a mistake we should make, but I've never made that one. I like it. Oh, I uh, love if that. Or Di and die both go pro. You, you got to add a running back. It becomes a complete necessity. Um, and I almost argue now that if 
I feel like if Die came back, he maybe didn't have to because he was so versatile and and shown the ability to to help you in, in a bunch of different ways. Whereas I think he's Verdell's maybe a little less versatile than Die. Um, I'd, I'd like to see another running back added into this mix now. I do want to touch on the Florence thing. Maybe let's do that later. But on, on the running back topic. Um... I was just thinking about this. Oregon has, I think, eight confirmed running back slash wide receivers for 22. Like, they are really thin at skin or skin at skill position. There's another mistake. At skin. <laughs> they're really thin. At, they're really thin skin. No, they've they got can't really. Take, they can't take criticism. They can't. Yeah, that's, that's their fault. No, their skill position, though, they just don't have a lot of dudes. And and one of those is Seven McGee, who we don't have full clarity from Dan Lanning. That's a thing we'll get in the spring, I imagine, or the next couple times we speak with them of. Is he a slot receiver? Is he a running back? Is he both? Can he do both comfortably? What are the, what's the role for him? He's kind of the he's the in-between that kind of goes between both positions. But if Verdell is not on the team and Die is not on the team and it's just Cardwell and McGee, McGee is going to play running back, I think, almost exclusively. Is that what you want to do? And that's where I have to think Oregon lands a running back. And I think almost even if you get Verdell back, I'd probably still consider taking a prep, a guy who mm-hmm. – come in and and maybe he redshirts in 22 and then steps into a bigger role the following year or maybe he's like byron cardwell where he enters a season not anticipated or expected to be a big contributor but by the end he's your your number two running back and a very productive one at that so jordan james fall you know he he fits that profile it's kind of similar a little bit to cardwell in terms of i know cardwell wasn't committed at the time but really high end running back like big time top 200 running backs that are available late in the process that Oregon might get involved with. And if you get James, that's a huge edge and advantage, I think, going forward in terms of that position group, solidifying that. And I, I just think in general, yeah, skill positions are, are needed. Um, Oregon needs to go get some guys at running back and at receiver. If, if these running back transfers end up holding true and you don't have Travis Dine again, I still think even if Verdell is back, it would be worth adding a prep running back and if Verdell and Dye both gone, I think a portal running back would probably be of value because otherwise you've got all first and second year college running backs besides Sean Dollars, mm-hmm. who I guess is a what, – what is Sean Dollars eligibility-wise? Is he a fifth-year sophomore? Is that what it is? Yes. It's, it's, I think it's that. Fourth, no, third or fourth. Fourth. I think he's a fourth-year sophomore, which is stupid, which is 2019. Just, he's the same class as KT, right? So Yes. Yeah. It's and he's had terrible luck with injuries. He redshirted, uh, you know, the COVID year. It's just like, I mean, we joked about him before, with him before the Fiesta Bowl, where he was like, "Yeah, I'm a third year freshman," and this year, I yeah. think, in I mean, in theory, he could probably get a medical redshirt for 21. I mean, he didn't play at all, and it was because of injuries. So, could he even be a fourth year freshman? Is is the is the weirder thing to look at? I know technically he would never want to stay at, at a school for eight years, but. Um, it's but but just in general, like the position has almost no experience. So if if Burdell's not going right. to be on the team, Dye's not going to be on the team, and you've already seen Trey Benson take off, uh, you might want to look at an older running back and a veteran running back. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a guy who's run for three thousand yards in his career and is super established, but just a, a high end guy who can come in and give you some experience because I think that's needed at that running back spot. Yeah, I agree. I, I think having a, a sweet spot of like five or six scholarship running backs is probably ideal, kind of how Oregon was this past season. Um, just, you know, if you can get it, how Oregon had it shaped up last year with two veterans and then a bunch of freshmen who can learn from them. 
um, you know, that's the most ideal. Um, but hitting the, yeah, if Verdell comes back, regardless, I still think you should hit the portal for at least one guy. Um, look for a prep dude as well. Just somebody who can fill in the stop gaps. You know, if Travis Dye eventually chooses to come back or Verdell leaves, um, both of them are, they only have one year eligibility left if they, if they come back. So you're going to need somebody in the future anyways. Um, so I think hitting the portal or, or getting a high school kid to come would be ideal. Um, it's, it's okay to have too much depth in that position, I think, just because of the pure injuries, luck, or bad luck, I should say, not so much luck in getting an injury. But, and you kind of saw that uh, with, with Oregon last year. It's like, I think most people have, have come to expect CJ Burdell to be banged up at some point during the year. And Oregon had the necessary backups to alleviate that stress. And it didn't matter who it was. Was, but they found that Byron Cardwell was their guy, um, mostly because Sean Dollars had bad luck with injury again and was out for the whole year. Um, I still think the running back room on, on itself is very talented. Um, I'm kind of sad to see Trey Benson go. We never we never really got to see him play at 100%, um, and we'd only heard great things like from Travis I about him. Um, so that was sad to see, but uh, I still think if Sean Dollars is 100% healthy, um, which I'm assuming he should be because he was, you know, he, he took his time from that injury, which is always a good thing at this stage in your life. Um, I still think that he could become somebody who can carry a bunch of loads. Um, Byron Cardwell obviously has all the talent. Um, Seven McGee, I'm, I feel like he's more of a package back. I'd actually like to see him more as a slot wide receiver. I, I really like that idea of him playing out there rather than running back. Um, but yeah, I think they, they can, they, Oregon should add a couple guys there. I just think that's the proper move. Um, solidify yourself with depth and you know, promote competition. Um, because if if people start to believe, or if teammates start to believe that things are just going to be handed to them, that's when it becomes an issue. Um, so competition. I think Lanning said yesterday, competition breeds excellence. I think that's something that you should try to do in the running back room as well. Oregon's coaches were out on the road at midnight of Friday morning, 12.01. Tosh Lupoy, Matt Powledge, uh, and Demetrius Martin, three defensive coaches, were in San Diego in the home of Jalil Florence for an in-home visit. Um, guys, I've, I've professionally covered college football recruiting for Oregon since – spring of 2009 um i can't recall an oregon staff ever being in the home of a recruit at midnight of the first day of live recruiting period um that is a new one it, it's common across college football but at oregon it's not been and i think that was florence even tweeted himself he he knows he is a priority he has and you know, Dan Lanning was FaceTiming him, as Eric said um, earlier on the show, immediately after winning the national championship game when he was with Georgia earlier this week. Um, he, it, this is very clear that Jalil Florence is probably, you could view, you could argue maybe that he is their top priority from a high school prospect uh, perspective in 2022 right now. Um, and we should also note that Florence has decided not to take visits 
the rest of the way um, before signing day in February, which is a bit of a surprise because he was going to go and see, I think, Miami, Oklahoma. Um, he was going to go to USC again. He was going to go to Oregon again. Uh, and now he's he's shutting it down. And that's I think this is a good trend in the right direction for Oregon there at cornerback. And then um, circling back to, to Eugene, they've got an opportunity. We've talked about um, the running back that Oregon's hosting, but Christian Miller is a top, I think 150 player, a four-star defensive lineman. Uh, he's a heavy lean to Georgia, but guys, I, I like Dan Lanning going out and firing on all cylinders the first week of, of recruiting after the dead period has been lifted with two players that are heavy leans or commits to Georgia and seeing if you can flip them. I, I love, I love the, the, the aggressiveness here. Just to the Florence thing, man, like if you're, I think if you're Dane Lanning and you're leaving that field and you're thinking I'm going to FaceTime a recruit, you figure that recruit is probably going to receive that very, very well. So you're very selective in terms of who you reach out to, because like it almost, it almost feels like a, a video game where you get a boss and you're able to like pick a certain attribute to add to yourself, right? Of like, and I know that's a weird way of saying it, but it's like you communicate to Jill Florence, you want that person here. I pretty, I'm pretty sure Jill Florence is probably going to end up at Oregon. Like, you, it's kind of almost like you've unlocked a, a, a like a secret thing because it's like, is Florence really ultimately going to not go to Oregon after? I know that's a terrible analogy, but probably the perfectly. But the point I'm making is like. You know, you know the value and how that's going to be received on the other line, and so you know whatever right. dialing right there, that's going to be really significant for them. And so you're very selective with who you reach out to. You're not going to reach out to, you know, a, a, a guy who's a backup option. You're going to go after your top guys, and that's why I think it's really telling that both the thing we talked about with the, the, the FaceTime down at the national championship game, and then also what Matt was saying a second ago with Tosh and Pallage and and coach meet being at Florence's house, like basically the first moment possible that that's your top target. That's the guy you are saying you need to get. And they're right. I mean, we talked about this corner remains and I think it's pretty clear based upon this, as well as the fact that Florence is a great prospect, but corner remains an issue. It remains a spot you need to address. And Florence is somebody who could come in and in theory contribute right away. And that's why we're seeing a full court press put on him and, I'm Florence, you're very, very aware of this, and you've already got familiarity with the school. I know you don't with the staff. I have to think Oregon's in a great spot. And as Matt said, I think the indications are there, uh, you know, in terms of he's not visiting Miami, which was considered a big time, you know, a, a big school to compete against um, with the continuity on that staff, Oregon, that he had committed to previously. Um, and I think it's really Oregon versus USC. And, and I would have to think Oregon feels pretty good about where they're at. Um, to the other two players, those are positions of, of need to address in this class, right? I mean, running back, mm -hmm. we've just spent the most of the podcast talking about it, so I won't belabor that one, but Jordan James, a Georgia commitment, makes sense that you go after him. He's unsigned. You know, any player that's unsigned that you had relationships while recruiting at Georgia are players that you're going to want to go after. And as Landing said when I asked him on the signing day pod, uh, press conference, I should say, um, he's recruiting for Oregon. He's not recruiting for Georgia anymore. It probably won't make him many fans in Athens if he flips these guys, but this is part of the job. This is his job now. He's Oregon's coach. He has no relationship with Georgia other than a former employer. So makes sense. And then I think Kristen Miller, that's a that would be a massive play. That, that that would be to me 
the, the commitment you get that we will point to in a couple of years when recruiting is really going well and saying this was an early indicator of that, that he was able to go out there and, and use a relationship with a recruit at Georgia and not just any recruit. This isn't getting a middle of the road three star kid from the Southeast. We remember when Willie Taggart took over and even Mario Cristobal the first couple of years, they'd get kids from the Southeast, but they weren't the kids that Georgia wanted or that Alabama wanted no. or that LSU was recruiting. They were often guys that the back end of the SEC were recruiting or maybe some smaller schools were after. That's not what this is. This is a, a kid anyone in the country would take. And if Oregon's able to flip him, it'd be huge. Plus, I, I think he could come in and, and play right away. I mean, I think we really like the depth on the interior. Um, and we'll see where they like him in terms of positionally. But I would imagine there's an opportunity, and that's probably part of the pitch, for, for Kristen to come out and, and, to, and to see the field sooner than later. And to maybe the year later in 23 – when you will lose Popo and probably lose Brandon and who knows what Sam Taimani will do. And Keon Ware Hudson will in theory have reached his eligibility. I don't know if he'd be under the draft unless he has a big year, but there's going to be an opportunity in 23 for Miller to, to probably be your best defensive lineman, or at least be in the conversation for that. So um, all of that would make a lot of sense from Oregon's perspective to, if they can, if they can get him signed, it's a huge win for this program and, and really communicate again, the, the recruiting chops that Dan Lanning has. With Kristen Miller, um, obviously any big-time four-star four prospect out of the state of Georgia going west to, to Oregon is a huge – would be a huge recruiting win. Uh, it doesn't happen often. But you kind of look at Oregon's recruiting history in the past in the southeast under Cristobal, and you have a lot of Pac-12 starters who are uh, pretty pretty low-ranked players out of the state of Georgia and, and Alabama and Florida and Brandon Dorless, Triquest Bridges, DJ James, and Jamal Hill, um, and Braden Swinson as well. Those are all three-star guys, and they all have made significant impacts on, on Oregon's program. Um, they've all developed into uh, you know, Pac-12 starters. Um, maybe they're not all, you know, like all conference teams or anything like that, but they are you know, power five-level starters who are three-star prospects coming out of those southeastern states. Um, so to me, you look at a kid like Christian Miller who's – already physically mature enough to potentially you know, play at the power five level. Um, he's skilled enough. He's a highly ranked defensive lineman in a position of need, like Eric mentioned and addressed. Um, so somebody like that could be an instant impact guy from day one. And a player of, of Miller's talent and, and size and skill just doesn't hit the Pac-12 often. And yeah. there's yeah. a lot of there are a lot of players in the Southeast who are better than advertised, but because they play in the Southeast, they don't get the same kind of recognition. Here's another name you mentioned, Jason Jones, um, former Bama commit, another three-star, low four-star prospect who came to Oregon and, and this past season, he really showed out towards the final stretch. And those type of bodies, those type of players don't come to the Pac-12 often. And if this, if Oregon is able to flip Miller and, get him to sign with Oregon, um, that'd be a huge, just like you said, Eric, that'd be like the start of what could possibly become uh, a huge trend for Oregon and recruiting the Southeastern uh, area. Um, it would just be massive. I think he would be an instant impact guy. Um, I don't think the Pac-12 has these type of players. And I think if Oregon were to start to, to land them, I think that's what they did with offensive linemen in the past couple of years with Mario Cristobal. Um, it would be huge for the program. And for Julio Florence, just a quick, quickly touch on it um yeah probably their most important person right now in the world because they're meeting at his door at 1201 with tosh and 
Demetrius Martin and, um, and you know, Tasha's probably Oregon's best recruiter, maybe him and Lanning. Um, they're sending all, they're sending the cavalry. They're sending everybody they can to go get it. Um, it's going to be really fun to watch that play out because like Eric said, it's probably between USC and Oregon and USC is having their recruiting success recently. Um, a lot of Oklahoma kids, um, Lawrence, you know, was, is one of the fastest risers I think I've ever seen in terms of recruiting rankings. Um, I have it pulled up here. When he committed to Oregon, he was 317th in the country, um, borderline four-star, and now he's 72nd So and reached a peak of 68th in the country. Those are really impressive numbers. Um, getting him and Jaleel Tucker, both from Lincoln, Lincoln High School in San Diego, would be a huge huge relief in some of that quarterback depth if you get both of those guys to play corner and tucker is seemingly is just an unbelievable athlete could probably play safety corner wide receiver i don't know whatever you really want him to play um but i, I would probably stick him at quarterback to start and see what him and florence could do like they did in high school and yeah that's a position of need for oregon this is a player who could fill that position of need and we'll have four years of eligibility right off the bat. So I think it's priority number one. And you could tell with how Lanning FaceTimed him after the win in the national championship, and how they were standing on his front doorstep at 12:01. That is also a player priority for the University of Oregon. Um, so it's it's been impressive so far to see what Lanning has been doing, and I'm excited to see what he does on the trail today and probably for the next month and a half. I don't know how many hours he's going to be taking off. <laughs> Oregon's coaching staff is all across the country. They'll be back Friday evening to begin the official visit process with uh, the guys that are here for visits. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where things go here in the next couple weeks from a recruiting standpoint. We do know Dan Lanning, uh, at least as of Friday morning, is circling the Portland area high schools. He was in Central Catholic High School, which is home of 2023 four-star tight end Riley Williams, one of the best players in the country. Um, Riley is also the younger brother of a former Duck. So there is uh, some connections there with him. So keep your eyes on that as well. Until It's going to do it for us here on this podcast. Uh, until more breaking news hits, <laughs> we'll, we'll be back on Monday with a mailbag. Uh, we skipped it this week, but we'll be back again with the mailbag on Monday. Uh, and less breaking news hits. You've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.